episode with Sam Tripoli. Love Sam, known him for years. We uh, got into a lot of comedy store talk, a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, a lot of uh, talk about Mitzi Shore, the great Mitzi Shore, who uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this week. And uh, he tells his journey at the comedy store, and it's a pretty cool story of uh, how he developed there over the years. We'll get into that very soon. A lot of people have been asking me about Pat Reagan. What's his status with Kill Tony? What's going on? So I sat down with Pat and uh, asked him exactly what was on your guys' mind. My boy, Patty Reagan. A lot of people have been hitting me up asking me the question that I'm about to ask you. I wanted to get it from you directly. Why did Pat Reagan leave Kill Tony? Well, thank you for asking, Jeremiah. Um, I left because um, I just needed to go do something else. Um, I've been doing it for three years, and um, I just had a had a growing feeling inside me um, that I wanted to I wanted to sort of do my own thing, and I'm uh, grateful to Tony and Red Band and you and Joel and Josh Martin and Ryan J. Ebeld and freaking Rick Cossack and Wee Man and freaking uh, Leela Hart and uh, and uh, and Ali Makovsky and you know every everybody I met met so many cool people had a lot of had a lot of cool experiences had a lot of uh, experiences that I'm sure made uh, other people cringe but made me cringe even harder inside <laughs> and um, and uh. I'm out. Thanks. So there you go. Pat Reagan is no longer on Kill Tony, but he's doing the warm-up. There's no ill will or anything between him or the show. Uh, We love Pat. He loves everybody on the show, as as he clearly just stated. And that doesn't affect anything that's going on with Reagan and Watkins. We actually have been recording our album up in Ventura over the weekend. We're so excited to share that with you. we got some music videos coming down the pipe here uh, within the next couple months. And... Just looking forward to uh, to getting that out there. We've been working so hard. Uh, part of the reason why uh, this uh, intro is going to be a little bit shorter today is uh, because I'm recording this in advance because uh, we're, we're recording all weekend up in Ventura. So it's going to be a little bit shorter. But uh, I did want to um, uh, say thank you to the sponsors of the show, Bronx Born Pizza. Video will be coming soon. I promise we're getting so close to that. It's been swamped with a lot of of stuff going on, but a beta will be coming of that very soon. Uh, So check out Bronx Born Pizza in Bend, Oregon. Amazing pizza. Uh, I've had the recipe here in uh, Santa Monica over at Greyblock, and it's it's amazing. They've got like bagel crust pizza and a lot of good stuff. Speedweed, my buddy Gino over there, Marijuana Delivery Service. Get your fix. At Route 66 with Gino. Yeah, over at Speedweed. Hit him up on Twitter. And uh, also, um, Adrian Chavez sent me in a song 
from his band Life Eats Life titled I Wish It Was You and I'm going to play that while I read these dates. I'm going to be at Moon Tower April 19th through 21st. I'm going to be in Utah, Salt Lake City with Tony Hinchcliffe, The Golden Pony at the end of the month, 27th, 28th. Get your tickets to that and also Sam Tripoli, June 1st the Tinfoil Hat Podcast with Eddie Bravo as his guest will be at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. Go to Cobb'sComedyClub.com for, uh, to get tickets to uh, Sam's live podcast. It'll be great. And also email me at yourboyjeremiahwatkins at gmail.com with any kindness challenge updates and uh, any music that you want to try to get on the show. I'll, I'll do my best um, uh, trying to, to and make this as a, much of a group effort as possible. And... Uh, my friend Zoltan at the Art of Getting Up on Instagram. He does all the artwork and posters for the show. I've been um, looking for a car. Uh, very quickly, I'll tell you this weird story that happened. I was about to buy a Prius from this guy. I got sold out from underneath me. He said, "But I have another Prius. Come see you tomorrow." And I had already test driven this other one. I was like, "Okay, I'll come again tomorrow. Test drive another Prius." I I pull up there. And uh, I call. He's like, I can't show it to you, but my dad will. This Russian man pulls up. <laughs> it's a brand new Toyota Camry. And he gets out. I shake his hand. I'm like, hey, I'm here to see the car. He's like, great. Okay. Yes, um, um, uh, one moment. He, get, he goes to his trunk, pulls out a bag. A Russian lady comes out from her house. He gives her the bag. They start talking in Russian. She goes back inside the house. The guy gets back in his car without telling me and he drives away. I call him. I'm like, Hey, are you going to get the Prius? Like, yes, yes, it'll be there in a couple moments. It'll be there. A different Russian guy pulls up with the Prius. <laughs> I go and test drive it. And the car is actually really nice. It has low mileage, 85,000 miles. It's, uh, you know, somewhat in my price range where I, I'm like, I can scramble to get the money together. I go to the bank. I'm happy with the car. I'm going to get the car. But I call the, the guy who um, who listed it one more time. I had a couple more questions for him. And my gut was like, Jeremiah, don't buy this car. Okay. And I was like, last question. Do you, did you, do you have a Carfax report for this car? And he goes, no, I don't. I spent 40 bucks on getting a Carfax report. I look up. On the odometer, it read 85,000 some odd miles. Look on Carfax, 270,000 miles dated in 2017 of January. So I call him back and I hit him up. I'm like, dude, I just got the Carfax. There's 270,000 miles on this car. And uh, he swears that he didn't know that he feels like he got ripped off from the guy that he bought it from. I think something's fishy going on. I think something's going on with the Russian mafia. I don't know what is going on, um, but uh, <laughs> crazy stuff. I'm. I kind of want to report them to the police because it's a huge. It's huge fraud, a huge crime to dial back an odometer on cars and sell it to people. I also don't want to get a hit on me from the Russian mob. Not sure what to do. Did a poll on Twitter. Eighty percent of people said yes, report them. Twenty percent said no. I still don't know what to do. I've been very busy. Uh, I have not called the cops yet. I don't know if I should. What do you guys think? <laughs> Tweet at me or hit me up on Instagram at Jeremiah Standup. This is a super fun episode. And uh, let's just get right into it. Without further ado, my friend, Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. 
today is kind of a weird day it in is comedy, day. man. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mitzi Shore, the founder of the Comedy Store, uh, the talent curator, and so much more, uh, she passed away this morning. And uh, it's a, definitely a weird energy to know that she's like, you know, in a sense, no longer with us like here. But, yeah. uh, you know. I don't know what it was like in your show, because you had two shows in the belly room, pretty much, like your show, and then it was followed by the uh, the roast battle, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a definite weird vibe in the main room. It was it was jumping, people were laughing, but there was something missing from it. And, and even my girlfriend was like, there's just something weird in this room. There's just something weird. She's like, it's packed. Everybody's killing. And there's just something weird. So we ended the show with a, we love you, Mitzi, uh, at the end of the show. And then this morning I woke up to that uh, that thing. You know, this is only the third time in the history of the comedy store that it is now closed. The first time was after 9-11. And then, obviously, the incident that happened on the patio and then finally the the passing of the queen who you know i mean i don't know if we'll ever see anybody like that again no i don't think so <clears throat> I, I mean she's a rare bird because she never did stand up but she understood stand up which i thought was almost more important that she didn't do it right. because it's like she's a she has the outsider's perspective but she's around it so much and she had such the eye for talent that she really knew how to groom people and have a completely objective opinion on everything. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, I don't think she was, she was, she wasn't 100% right all the time, every time, but she, she, she really, really molded what we know stand up comedy is. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like for the longest time and still to this day, the comedy store is the 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 basically the only thing that I think Los Angeles comedy can 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 rest its hat on. I mean, there's obviously the, uh, you know, underground uh, upright citizens brigade, but that's at a certain time. But in terms of like, you know, it's either New York City comedy or comedy store, in, in my opinion. You know, it's like that's kind of where it's at in terms of like this kind of uh, showing love and respect to the art form. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. Were you passed by Mitzi herself? I was passed by Mitzi. It's a very interesting story. About a year before 9-11, Mitzi Shore says that for some reason she believes that uh, Arab comics are going to need a voice. They're going the community is going to need a voice, and they're going to have to have somebody who is voices the, their opinion because they're going to be. It's it's just this weird like foreshadowing she had. So I get a call from Duncan Trussell, and Duncan's like, Sam, I think you know Duncan and Mazjabrani, who is a G. Is like I think we can get you into the store because I showcase like four or five times for him in terms of the amount of showcases in front of Mitzi's. That was nothing compared to like Ari Shafir's, which was like thirty-eight times. Yeah, you know, 
uh, you hear some kids are like, ah, showcase three times. I been, it's like, dude, you don't even know. It was like so crazy. So I've got, I literally got standing O's in one of my showcases to the staff was like chasing me out. I'm like, dude, you crush. And she's like, nope. They made me, they made a new, a new category for me, which was called showcase regular, which meant I could showcase anytime I wanted. If I had like industry there or anything. So what happens, I get a call from Doug. He's like, Sam, I, I, you're, are you Middle Eastern? I'm like, I'm Armenian. He's like, close enough. He goes, I think I can get you in. So here's the rules to showcase in the Mitzi. It was, they would basically go, um, Duncan goes, here's the key. You do one joke about your ethnic group, one joke about either one of your parents, and then you do your favorite bit. So I had a joke about being Armenian, going to the beach, taking a shirt off, baby start crying. It's like, this is way early in the game. And then I had a bit about my mom power walking. And then I had this bit in which Joey Diaz said to me, he goes, it was this bit about Asians on ecstasy and about how their like visuals are so much better than everybody else's because they're so much smarter. They got the like high def Dolby digital sound. Why everybody else is like eight bit Atari, right? And Joey's like, dude, that bit is so good, bro. That's a fucking great bit. So I went with that bit. So so the whole thing about showcasing for Mitzi at the time was that. Uh, you were always worried about it was so hard because people would try to hijack your showcase meaning because they only knew that that was that one time for them to get spots so they would swoop in and talk to her trying to get in her favor again to get spots again so uh the key was just like you pray that nobody was sitting next to her well i look out and who's sitting next to her is paul mooney well, a month earlier, Paul Mooney, I'd been doing the, uh, I did a, a gig before before everything, before the roast battle, before, I don't know, it was even before the roast battle, but even before whatever it was before the roast battle, there was a show called Dublin's. And it was like the greatest comedy show of all time. It was like, it's, it was the, I mean, it was the first time in the history of Hollywood that I could remember that all the comics from all the clubs came together because when I first moved here, you could only play one. The improv would let you play under the, you know, the improv would let you play. Yeah. But Mitzi Short wouldn't. Uh, the Laugh Factory, you couldn't, you weren't supposed to go back and forth. So you, each club had its own comedians, and this was the first time that they had come together under one roof to do stand up. And uh, so before that, there was this thing called, uh, it was called the Hustler Cafe, had a big comedy show ran by Johnny Montana. And it was like this actor who just seemed coked out of his skull all the time. But he's really funny. He put together this huge show. So I was doing stand-up about how hard it was to be a white guy. And I, I get off stage, and uh, Paul Mooney runs up to me. He's like, oh, homie, you ain't white. Use a Armenian. Use a boom. And he drops an N-bomb on me, right? Yeah. Which is this weird thing coming from the guy who's basically copyrighted the word, the N-word. Yeah, it's kind of an honor. It's kind of an honor. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's this weird thing. But at the time, I didn't know if he liked me or not. So I, I'm showcasing. Like, is this the good one or the bad one? Yeah. Which one is it? <laughs> right, totally. So I'm about to, I'm doing, stand, look out who's sitting next to her is Paul Mooney. So I don't know how to take it. I'm just like, okay, whatever. Just go for blood. So I get off stage and it turns out Paul Mooney at the time was, and he's, you know, we're still cool, uh, was a big fan of mine. And he told Mitzi, oh, 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 Mitzi, you got to pick this kid up. He's really funny. He's really funny. So he actually helped me basically become a regular. So I get off stage and Mitzi, I walk up to Mitzi and I'm like, hey, Mitzi, how's it going? Uh, she's like, oh, Sam, you're so funny. Are you Syrian? 
And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know what a Syrian was at that time. I didn't even, I, I mean, I'm public educated upstate New York. I had no clue what it was, but I was like, yeah, I'm totally Syrian. I'm totally, she's like, good. I want you to showcase again for Joe and Jay Davis's show on Thursday night. So Thursday night comes, it's me, Aaron Cater, Ahmed Ahmed are all showcasing. Majibani is such a G. He wants to get our friend Brett Ernst in. Yeah. Because at the at the beginning of the time, it was me, Brett, Sebastian, Mascalco, and Maz Jabrani were the four horsemen, right? And uh, so Maz hides, so they can't find him. They're like, Mitzi, we can't find him. Can we put this other funny guy up, Brett Ernst? Wow. So Brett Ernst goes up, crushes. So that night, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, myself, and Brett Ernst all got made regulars on the same night. So the next day, I get called, and Mitzi's uh, from Duncan's like, Sam, uh, Mitzi's going to do something she's only done one other time. She's going to make your first paid spot, uh, ma- uh, your first regular paid spot, a main room spot. The only other person she's ever done that for is uh, Roseanne Barr. So I'm like, oh my God, that's that's crazy. So yeah, I, this is epic. <laughs> so I show up and um, so I'm going on after a guy named Charles Fleischer who hasn't been there for a while. But I've opened for him before yeah. at the John Lovitz Club back in the day. Back in the day, Back in dude. the day, man. So, but this time he was like, he was like, it was the beginning of this kind of thing where he went on where he, he wanted to let everybody know he was one of the greats. So He's, he's the voice like, of Roger Rabbit for the people who don't know or recognize that name. Which is a weird thing. They've never remade that movie. Yeah, it, I'm, maybe it's coming, but who knows? Yeah, or maybe it's just one of those where they're like, "Ah, we can never remake something like this." It's like there's a couple movies like that. But anyways, he he would go up and he has this kind of like with all crowd work people. There's like it's like coming off the top of your head, but it's always been said a thousand. They've said it a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's crushing. I didn't know who he was, so he brings me up, and I go up on stage and. I bomb for 15 minutes. Like I, I eat it for 15 minutes. But what I do you st- think it was that night that they caught? Do you think it was nerves? Because it was like obviously stuff that you'd been doing a lot at the time. Well, I was a street kid. I, I hadn't really done a lot of stand up in clubs at that time. Gotcha. And at the, you know, I was a bar comic out of Vegas. So you were going pretty hard in the paint. Hard and and, and, the and they're like, dude, whoa. And, you know, you see a lot of dark comedy now, but that's because the internet's kind of brought people out to that. Yeah. Back then, it was like everybody wanted Seinfeld. So I bombed for 15 minutes and the next day i get a call and they're like mincy wants you go up again in the main room and that that's when i realized that she was different and the comedy club scene was you know this club was different and it wasn't about killing with her and it was always about just are you working on something work through it whatever you're comfortable uncomfortable with you got to sit in that and get through that. And that's really what it was for her. If you complained about following somebody to her, you would follow her a thousand, you would follow that person a thousand times out of a thousand times. Like that was her thing. And it kind of changed over time. And, you know, that kind of aspect of it's gone. But it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. Wow, man. That's, whew, that's, that's such a cool story. So many, man, so many, so many, how, how cool is that, Amaz Jabrani, to do something like that? There's a lot of people who have made it. I've seen a lot of people come and blow up, and very few of them 
have not changed at all. He's not changed. He is the exact same dude. And you knew Moz was going to blow up back in the day. And he's always been the nicest guy. Not that anyone's not nice or they're blah, blah, blah. It's just like, but he is literally the same guy I, I, I met day one. And he's the nicest dude. And, and like, yeah. So those four of us, and we all used to go down together to La Jolla. And we'd all rotate. Like, it was me, Moz, Brett Ernst, and Sebastian. And we would all rotate on who closed it, who opened it, all that stuff. Who was the hardest to follow for you specifically? Well, back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, Caparula was, when he first came on, he was unfollowable. He was a destroyer. Dude, I remember whenever he used to get those back-to-back 15-minute spots that would be a half an hour in the middle of the show. Yes. That, you know, that was you know that, that was my biggest problem with how Tommy ran it. And I, I'm not I hope they invite Tommy back when, when they say goodbye. That's what I was. That was one of the first things I thought of actually, because I was like, "That's a guy who like truly loved her." And and, and there's a lot of. I know that you. It took you a while to get in, and you you have every right to be upset. And Earl and Jason Tebow and a lot of these guys that he never let through. But you know, when I see this kid, this guy running these shows in these weird places, I, I just see a guy who's lost, and like the, this the, his. His identity was taken from him, and he deserved it, man. You know, it's like you just can't be in there forever. But I would like to see in some weird – more than anybody that's ever left that place, I think that guy needs to be allowed back in a weird in – in a way just to, just to let him move on with his life or something like that. But he should most definitely be allowed to say goodbye to Mitzi. Yeah, yeah. And as much as we hate him, he was a uh, he was he his problem was he allowed comics to get bigger than the club. That was my biggest thing. Mm. You know, there were people picking where they went and all that stuff. Now, dude, you got you know the club is the thing, and everybody and everybody and even with me right now, my times at the store are kind of gone down, and that was kind of hurtful at first. But then I realized that. Everybody goes away. Everybody goes away at a point. You have to go away a little bit, and then you come back. And it's just like I saw with Joe Rogan, Joey D. I mean, monsters. The you know guys who are on every they weren't there for like seven years. Yeah, and it it just kept going. It wasn't as good as now, but it just keeps going. Yeah. So you got to go, and you got to come back. So, dude, you're you're one of those people that uh, I, have to, I have to tell you that I've I've looked up to for a long time because I whenever I think of somebody who is like funny and who hustles in comedy, you're one of the guys who I think of. You're always like producing cool shows, like you got your hands in different podcasts and different stuff going on. Were you always like that starting off with comedy, or is that something that you had to grow and evolve into like later on? It's so interesting because you know. My, my parents didn't give me a lot. They gave me two things, a work ethic and a sense of humor, you know. And uh, I just saw my dad work 90 jobs. So when I move out to Las Vegas, uh, you know, you always hear no matter where you are in the country, you always hear New York City, dude, they go up like 27 times a night, dude. They're up a million yeah. times. They're never getting off stage. And you're like, fuck, that must be what comedy's about. So when I started comedy in Los Las Vegas, it was there was one open mic every other week. So there was no, and there was three comedy clubs, and they wouldn't put any locals up. So we had to make our own thing. So I literally went every night in that town. I went and found a bar that had a stage. I go, what's your dead night? And I had a, a show every night. And now that was like 
that was putting out like like flyers. Yeah. There's no internet. There's no nothing. So when I peaked in Vegas, I had uh, my own improv troupe in four casinos. I had my own stand-up show on the, the Vegas Strip, and I was opening for different people at the Riviera, which was booked by which was booked by uh, Steve Sharippa from uh, The Sopranos. So when I got to that point, I'm like, I've done all I can here. I have to go to L.A. And so I went to L.A., and then I just start. I've always booked my own shit, always. It's so interesting. And now I'm just like, after 20 years into this, it's like, you know, I'm not saying every show sells out. I've had a couple at the dojo that have been weird, but for the most part, I, I, I can pack them out and, I've been blessed to see the store like go from like we were doing naughty shows in that main room to like 200 in the middle. And they're like, where is everybody? I'm like, dude, this is all we can do. And now it's like, you know, I just did the comedy chaos. And, yeah. Uh, it's like 15th sold out show. Dude, congrats. That's awesome. And you, dude, I've always been watching you. You know, uh, you know, you're a hustler, dude. You've uh, you've found a niche in so three huge shows. And uh, that's that's setting stuff up for some really amazing shit to happen for you because you're in this thing. You've created your own Mitch. You know, when you got picked up at the comedy store, I was like, oh, it's going to be very interesting to watch how you develop. I go, it's going to be fun to watch because the style that you had, which was like these characters and you know how you're going to adapt to how the comedy store style is, which is this magical thing learning in the OR. So you're going to be able to take a little what you like and a little what the what the store teaches you and blend them together. So in this weird way, it's almost like you could go from being a one man show, one man show to being a late night comic at the same time. And that was it's been fun to really watch because if you sit there and you 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 just it will break you that room and that's what oh, it does it's broken me so many times and, but that's what makes us better and that's why you grow you're like okay this isn't working i walked it with a, i've watched it with a lot of people you know i've watched that room i mean court mccowan uh you know theo vaughn like theo, it's really cool to see what's going on with theo right now it's just like dude like sebastian i used to watch oh, sebastian back in the day when there was like I'm not lying to you. Everybody thinks like the comedy store is like this place of like packed house. And it is now. It wasn't like that before. Dude, I mean, even before Tommy fully took over, Sebastian was doing like, there were like 15, 20 people in the OR. Sebastian would run from his job where he's waiting tables, take his lunch break, run to the comedy store, do his stand up in his like workout work gear and then run back and do stand up at, uh, run back and wait tables at the hotel he was at dude man it's so it's so crazy and that, i mean to, to see where he's at now comedians and cars getting coffee with jerry seinfeld 15th on the all time on the on the grossing on, comics yeah and we used to switch back and forth we used to go on the road where we would go back and forth on who headlined and whoever went second, the second half of their act would just tank because they were so tired from laughing. Like it was like, Weird. it was like 45 minutes of murder followed by 45 minutes of, of a guy killing. So the last 30 was just like, Oh, oh I'm exhausted. Yeah. I can't laugh anymore. Did you, would you tailor your set to start doing like more story based stuff or anything slower paced? Like whenever you would do that, or would you just keep trying to it kill? It's just me. Kill, kill, kill. I've been slowing down a lot. It's so funny. You're like, I'm like 23 years in and like, I'm still learning stuff. When I shot my special at the Viper room, man, I went super slow. 
You know, so it, it, I've done it before when I'm super slow. And it's like boom, boom, boom. The problem is I've always wanted to be a cult leader. So I end up doing this fire and brimstone <laughs> shit on stage. And it's a little too quick because I want the pow, 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 pow shit. But it's slowing down. But it's been fun to watch Sebastian. Sebastian knew who he was right from the gate, dude. Right from the gate. Now, it wasn't hitting. But when it hit, it destroyed. Yeah. Same thing with Theo Vaughn. Like that, I, I remember seeing Theo Bagnago. And, uh, and now it's like. I've seen sets where it's like, oh, man, why am I doing comedy? I think we might have a uh, a cult leader that's that's calling into the show right now. I think he's patching in. Hello? Oh, hello? Is this Sam Tripoli? Uh, yeah. Who, who Who is this? This is your wanted fearless leader, Zycon. Zycon! Oh, my God. Dude, growing up, I loved Zycon. Zycon was kind of what I based my comedy around. Bow before your leader, Zycon. I'm on my knees. I might not get back up. Good. Stay there. Oh, Jesus. This got uncomfortable. Listen, Sam, I need you to do something very important for me. What, Zycon? Anything you need. I need you to start a subsidiary group of my cult. Uh, like an L.A.-based one? An L.A.-based one, yes. Okay. What union number would this be? 159724. <laughs> 157924. Let me write this down real quick because I'm going to forget that. Okay, one, yeah, sure. 159724. Nine, now, in this cult. Four, 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 four. Do you, before we proceed, do you agree... With all of what I am about to say. Okay. Well, you know, since I've been following you for a while, I will agree to it, even though I know I will regret this. Okay. First initiation of the cult. Yes. Sticking a hot dog up your butt. Reverse Kobayashi style. Okay. I'm not against it. I'll think about it for sure for you. It must be done. The internet is going crazy. (laughs) Is there a time period on this? Yes. Okay. In the next 30 seconds. Okay. Ah, oh, I don't see any hot dogs here. We lost Zycon. I don't oh, know where Jesus. he went, dude. I can't believe Zycon listens to my podcast. Dude, what is going on with uh, the the hot dog thing? I keep, dude, the, the amount of tweets that I got whenever I was like, hey, uh, uh, like, send me your questions for Sam. So let's explain to the listeners who, uh, uh, who are not aware of the bet that happened on Punch Drunk. Uh, I am... On a show called Punch Drunk Sports. I, it is a seven-year-old podcast. We've been doing it forever. Our viewership is very passionate. It's myself, Ari Shafir, and Jason Tebow. We have uh, Johnny. Johnny Woodard is our like tech guy. And then we have the fight nanny who is having a baby any day now. So uh, that's our show. We talk sports. And we decided to start doing a bag of bets. And I love I, I love the idea behind the bag of bets. Well, by the way, it started out as a fun idea, and then you're seven <laughs> years into it. And it's like loser has to have sex with his mother, and like I don't want to do any of that. What, what are what are some of the weird bets that you guys have had to do uh, for people who are not familiar with the bag of bets? I had to watch two hours of hardcore gay pornography on ecstasy and boner pills. So I had to watch that. What was that experience like? Be- because, you know, uh, as a straight guy, I'm, I'm sure that you haven't purposely tried to stumble upon that. Well, I mean, if you watch enough porn, you end up going down some slippery slope. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I used to do a lot of coke and watch a lot of porn. And then eventually, 
you stop watching. Like when you're five hours into a porn run and you're hearing the what I call the coke birds chirping to let you know <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, which is just like you fucked your life up. You're still up. You're doing coke. What are you doing? Like you stop watching porn for the uh, the sex. You start watching for the cinematography. <laughs> You're like, you're like, hey man, does this guy understand the art in which he's filming? Yeah, and then it just starts getting weird. So eventually, you start looking at some weird shit, and I'll tell you that right now. That's a great swish pan right there yeah. oh, on wow. that shot. Wow. wow, over under they called that was a classic. And, yeah, can uh, we get a down shot? No pun intended on this <laughs> yeah. next. Well, you close up. So eventually, you're gonna watch some trans shit, some weird shit, and it is what it is at some point. So watching that was just like it was, uh, and made it worse. We allowed the fans to pick the porno so i never got any plot there was no plot in it i couldn't like oh why is the why is the gardener in the bedroom naked it was just like straight to like you know las vegas fountain shot fountain shot bing 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 cut to all just you know so it was uh it was rough (laughs) i think i think we're getting another phone call actually uh Cokehead Sam is calling into the show right now. Hello, Cokehead Sam? Hey, hey man. What's up, dude? Hey. Dude, this porn dude, I just got a new badge on Pornhub, dude. Yeah, I've watched so much porn now. I've just found out I'm a level 87 dick wizard. <laughs> a level 87 dick wizard? Yeah, wow. well, I use my powers for good or evil. <laughs> I think my heart's about to explode. Wow, uh, Cokehead Sam, maybe you should consider maybe stop doing coke? Why? It's so much fun. I'm just learning so much about the art of pornography, the cinematography, all the amazingness. It's all about lighting and craft services. Coke at Sam, sorry to interrupt, but how long have uh, you been doing oh, I coke? I just had a heart attack. Got to keep going. <laughs> how long have you been doing coke, Coke at Sam? Three days. I mean, like in it's, well, that's an impressive stint, like like Thank right you. away. But like even longer than that, when did you start doing coke? God, kindergarten. Kindergarten. I've been doing coke the whole time. Wait, what? Back in the '80s, they thought coke helped calm the kids down. Everybody was doing it. They throw coke on your on your apples, on your on your on your on your lunchables. You ever have a lunchable with it like it has ham, crackers, and napalm coke on the side? <laughs> a razor blade yeah. and an ID. Yeah, I did. Oh, I just had another heart attack. <laughs> whoa, whoa, are you okay? You no, keep I'm having dying. these heart attacks. <laughs> I'm dying. Of how great this porn is. No, no, no. Wait, wow, you're. That chick's got a dick. Wait, you're still looking at porn while you're calling into the well, show? Yeah, dude, it's called multitasking. <laughs> is that your only like hobby that you have? <laughs> yeah, it pays the bills. <laughs> I get paid in Bitcoin. You can pay them Bitcoin and Groupon. Well, that doesn't sound like a good combination just, at all. I just got Groupon for three transsexual hookers on Sam Maka Boulevard. <laughs> what? Okay, Sam. Hey, I think that's the cops at the door. Okay, we I gotta lo- go. Okay, we we just lost Cokehead Sam. I don't oh, know. Lost Cokehead Sam, dude. What I, a great did guy you, he was. Man, I don't know if you were were listening to the conversation that I was having with no, Cokehead Sam. I was using Sam. the bathroom. What yeah, happened? yeah, you step in. But I, I, he was making me feel like I was on cocaine. I started talking faster yes. just listening to just him, trying to keep up with him. That's crazy, man. He's got plans, dude. He's got a lot of plans, business plans. Something <laughs> about fucking Groupon and tranny hookers he's always talking about. <laughs> the, well, now, when did you start hanging out at the store? Oh, so I started hanging out at the store like where I would say like religiously, where it's like every week, most days of the week. Um, that was in the summer 2011, July 2011. Uh, Those are 
That was still fun years there. I mean, it's interesting because it's jumping so much right now. So that's a fun time too. But there was also these very dark times that was a lot of fun at the store too. I went, so I went to the fir- for the first time to the uh, to Potluck in 2010. And I was like, it was too much for me. I, I was like, I need to, I need to build up material. I'm not ready yet like i could feel you know when you walk those halls for the first time and you're looking at all the headshots and you see all all the names on the walls and everything it was literally like i do not want to disrespect this place yes i get that like i like i i went away and i kept chipping away at open mics and built up material so i could come back and have a lot of material well you definitely work hard dude you do i see a lot of people even when i was there that would just like thought hanging out the store is putting in time and putting working on your art and it's like it's not yeah it is like go there watch the masters then get out yeah what i would do is i would always do open mics every night of the week but then i would go there after when there's no open mics to do anymore that's when you go and watch at the store right right that's when you see different people handle late night and then like how everybody's approach is super different and that's I feel like where you can learn so much. I don't know if some like you know I, I'm I'm gonna enjoy watching Jack Knight grow. Sure, because that kid's got like mainstream appeal. He's already in love. The industry already loves him, but for some reason he's getting super late night spots, and he probably hates them. But I think they're great for him. Sure, I think those late night spots. I think people don't realize, especially now where it's like. All you hear people do is complain about how like it everybody's just going for blood constantly. Like it's all murder sets. Like it used to be a great play. Like Whitney complains about it all the time. Like you can't work on new shit. Unless you're Rogan, which is like he's just an eight hundred pound gorilla. He can do whatever he wants yeah. to. You know, he yeah. could bomb and no one's gonna ever say anything. It's hard to work on shit And that's why I started the dojo down the street Just as a place to work out new material man. I think that play, that venue has a lot of potential It's going to, you know, it's a process You're literally starting something from nothing But it is about getting like young comics like yourself uh, People who are established A place to go work out shit Work on new stuff Kind of get the benefit that I had Because when Mitzi picked up myself Brett Ernst, Maz, Maz Jabrani and Sebastian, and Ahmed. Like, she, like, this amazing thing. She just cleaned out all the 80 comics. 80s, and, and you know, seeing people that I started with get cleaned out at the comedy store, I now I look back at that and, like, how heartbroken some people might have been, you know? But it was this really amazing moment where she's like, okay, we got to get make room for this. And literally, she gutted the middle of the lineup. So, so it was like almost every night it was me, Maz, and Ahmed and Aaron almost every night. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, we were going down to La Jolla every other month. And it was like this amazing thing. And, it, you know, something like that can't last forever because nobody wants to see the same people over and sure. over again. And then I worked really hard to get some big names, the guys who I thought were killers out there, get them into the lineup because I figured out how to how to do it. I would sit next to Mitzi and make sure that people couldn't get in the air, you know, like Callen, all these really great, John Reap, all these great comics I helped get in. But then I got pushed to the end of the lineup. And, but then it's like, I always use it just to, you know, to learn and write and stuff. And now I'm starting a new hour after I shot my old one. 
uh, hour from scratch. That's going to be scary, right? It is, man, but, you know. Kind of exciting, too, I'm sure, though. Well, it is because I've grown as a person. Yeah. And uh, this one's going to be interesting. Every every, um, hour or album, I try to work on something different to expand what I'm doing. Like, um, you know, the Diabolical, which was my last album, that was I wanted to learn how to tell stories. So I, I worked on storytelling, which is its own weird, crazy thing. Like, so different from joke writing. It's completely different. Yeah. And then before that, you know, it was all about how much can I tag the crap out of this bit, joke writing bit, tag, 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 tag. Mm-hmm. So it's like it goes forever because I feel like tags, tags and callbacks are the sign of like really great comics. Yeah. So this one. This new thing I'm going to work on is like, I just, I'm fascinated with black comedy and it sounds really weird, but when I watch somebody like, when I watch like Tony Rock or I watch like Earthquake, like their ability to take these little things that we all see and just make them into this magnificent, like this like five to 10 minute bit that's so original and you're like, if you can actually break it on down, you know, Sebastian does this a lot. Jim, Jim Jeffries does a lot. These little things that we all, like if you actually wrote them down what the premise was, you'd be like, oh, I've heard that premise before, but it's like their ability to just expand on it yeah but and it's still relatable to everybody find the nuances and really explore that and then just like keep digging that's really what... like whoa i never looked at this like that before and it's yeah. been right in front of me yeah so that's really what i want to do like little i mean i'm always going to talk about weird shit you said so you said you're in an improv group uh in vegas yeah they were called the mutiny the mutiny yeah, it was a very interesting thing because we were part of it this. Sounds like a, a, a more of a hardcore improv group than most of the the other names that are uh, they're like. Uh, we're butterfly kisses. Can yeah, we get yeah. a suggestion? And you're like, we're the mutiny. Uh, the reason we were called give the us mut- a suggestion or die. Yeah. Well, this guy Elliot uh, had started the mutiny. I uh, started this uh, improv troupe, and uh, we found out he was keeping all the money. It was like this big thing. He was keeping all the money. So we were all just like, you know, we should start our own. So the funniest guys got together and they were just like, let's start. What should we call ourselves? We should call ourselves a mutiny. So once we went on our own, Elliot just folded his thing. And we never heard from him again. So we started We started in uh, one. We started in the, all the station casinos. The, the Fratellas who, own the, who used to own the UFC. They own, they own some casinos called the station. Boulder Station, Palace Station, Sunset Station. We got Sunset Station. Then we started doing a bunch of other ones. And we had like four improv shows a week. And then I had a bunch of stand-up going on so yeah so i just found out like about three years ago that the mutiny had actually kept going and they just dissolved like three years ago oh wow like yeah we started the mutiny in like 93 that's crazy it is crazy dude it's like such that's a a long time yeah and i i i would love to go back and i love doing improv i just i I have too much of a stand-up mentality where i'm always talking in punchlines. yeah well it's hard because yeah whenever you're doing truly proper improv you're not going after the joke and we get so trained to go for the joke yes that for sure. it, it might be hard for, i haven't done like scene improv like or, or with a team here in a little bit but yeah it might be different it is it, it, like if you say something like oh dude you're just cheap you're doing it cheap i think elliot might be calling in right now uh hello elliot is, is this you 
Samuel? Samuel? Why did you leave me? You destroyed. You destroyed our empire. You've ruined it. We had the greatest improv troupe in Las Vegas, and you destroyed it. Well, I think Sam, if I recall, he had just said that you were kind of embezzling money from the group, Elliot. Not true. Not true. Oh, I broke the rules of improv. Yes, and I was. I was. I was, in fact, breaking. I was, in fact, embezzling all of it. I was going to use it on better uniforms and props. Oh, so you were you were doing it for, for yes, the right and I was. for the right reasons. Yes, yes, of course. See, Samuel, how easy it is. How easy? Why, Sam? Why'd you have to ruin it? What we had going? I now work at at, at an oil changing station. They, do you understand how bad the improv is at Jiffy Lube? Nobody knows. uh, Hey, uh, so now that you work at uh, Jiffy Lube, Elliot, uh, I was wondering, I know you're probably not supposed to do this, but um, could you give me like a 50% discount on this oil change? Yes! (laughs) And some free filters! I hate it when you go there, they're like, hey, you need this filter fix. You're like, I don't know if you're lying to me, but I'll do it anyways. So you get the filter. I'll throw the filter in for free. Scene. Ellie just left. I don't. I don't know if if, if he. How He's did, so theatrical, dude. dude. Wow. He's so theatrical, man. Same Elliot though. Dude, Same Elliot. I love the idea of somebody who's an improviser who moves on to the rest of their life and they can't not say yes and with everything. I mean, I guess it's kind of somewhat of the premise of yes and with Jim Carrey. Goes, but the, but just like like just asking. Just ra- rather like about more like criminal activity or something <laughs> is so funny. Like there's like a voice, that voice modulator. That, so where are you the, from? Like, I'm from Kansas. Like how, like it's so amazing where we, I mean like it's so funny. I've had some people visit me like uh, Kevin Brennan, who is Neil Brennan's brother, was just on my podcast yesterday. Yeah. And I have a buddy of mine, our candidates here and they, they just shit on LA the whole time. And it's like outside Why? of traffic. I love it here. I love it here. Yeah. I think if there's things that drive you crazy in Los Angeles, there's so much opportunity that you can just build something else so you never have to deal with that. I love LA. <laughs> I do too, random guy. Who? How, how did that guy just patch into the show? I don't even know. Do you know how much I love L.A., Sam? I don't know. How much do you love L.A., Randall? Man, I love it so much. (laughs) You know how much I love L.A., Sam? How much do you love L.A.? Man, I love it so much that I could live here forever in my beach house. I don't care about the traffic. I don't care about the sun damage that my convertible is taking every day. You know, I'm a bald man, but yes, I might have skin cancer on the top of my head, but who cares, baby? They can just shave that off, right? Yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. Is there a specific reason why you called into the show other than to say you love L.A.? No, I just heard that L.A. was being mentioned, and I wanted to call and tell Sam that I agree with him, and that if he ever wants to talk about L.A. on the podcast, I would love to be a guest. Yes. Dude, some people love Los Angeles. I I think I know who that guy is. That's the guy who's... Uh, who uh, skateboards down Venice Beach in a thong with an American flag hanging out of his butt. Have you seen that guy? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was that dude. 
How did you know that was me, Sam? Yeah, I can tell how much you love America. I love America, but you know what I love more? What? L.A. Yeah. Here's what I've learned about L.A. L.A. is to the United States what the United States is to the rest of the world. In that they love us, but they hate our uh, entitlement. 100%. That's what it is. They love everything. You know, I mean, I don't know how they feel about entertainment now. It's getting a little weird out there, but they love L.A., but then they think we're so entitled because we somewhat are. I mean, my mother called me yesterday. She is getting snow. She's getting snow in upstate yeah. New York. Yeah, in Kansas, whenever I talk to my mom all the time, she's just telling me like how bad the weather is like this time of year and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Do you I know, used to live there. I get it. Do you know when they said that the most people end up, why the people end up, the one factor that causes people to move to L.A. the most if I, I hope I'm describing this correctly. Yeah. When people watch the Rose Bowl on television, they see how sunny it is. Oh, how beautiful. And they're like, why am I living in this shithole when I should be <laughs> out there? And that's a, tons of people move after they watch the Rose Bowl. They end up moving to L.A. The Rose Bowl is a tipping point for people? Well, because they see how sunny and weird it is. That's why that's we have to run so some funny. earthquake videos, do some wag the dog shit. Earthquakes do scare a lot of people in the Midwest. And they the scare South. me. Like, yeah. They scare me. I mean, yeah, who knows? At any moment, it could open up and. Could open up. <laughs> There's so much crazy shit. Do you know that basically the United States is a giant super v- volcano? Uh, I, I've heard. I've heard. It's ready to pop at any moment at different pops, parts. If it pops. Everything's gone except for like Australia, and so many like so many uh, scientists send their kids to school in Australia because they just never know when it's gonna pop. Wow, crazy, right? Let's get into this next segment called "Fanning Out." Fanning out. Fanning out. Questions from fans. I reached out to the Twitterverse and Instagram and and asked people uh, if they could ask Sam Tripoli any question. What would it be? Okay. Uh, this is from our buddy at Rydoon on Twitter. Oh. Have you ever had sex at the comedy store? Uh, I've, I'm blessed that I've had sex almost everywhere in the comedy store except <laughs> for the manager's office. Everywhere else. Downstairs manager's office. Everywhere else. I banged in the... I, I mean, dude... I've wasted so much of my life just partying and banging <laughs> chicks at the comedy store. I, I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. It was the best time ever because I'll never get that money back. But, man, there were some great years. We'll just call them the Katie Manzella years. They were wonderful. And, uh, you know, I, I I'm, those days will never come back. But I loved them. I love that. In the sound booth, in the main room, while everyone's walking around, just banging. You did it up there? I loved it, dude. <laughs> dude, I loved it. It was so much fun. That's awesome. Wow. That's crazy. At uh, Chase Leopard uh, on Twitter, how has doing the tinfoil hat podcast changed your worldview? Oh, it's opened it up, man. It's like, it's uh, it's the most freeing thing I've ever done in my life. I, you know, Could, would you explain it? Like, it, it's kind of like, would you consider it a um, a conspiracy theory podcast? Uh, it's 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 spiritual skepticism of the official narrative, which sounds like hoity-toity, but it really isn't just conspiracies. We branch off into the spiritual, and you know the political, and everything. It's opened my mind, dude. It's opened my mind. 
it's the most freeing thing I've ever done. When you really know what, what's going on, or at least what you perceive is going on, it sets you free. Some people are like, you live in a scary world. I'm like, not really, man. It's much more freeing when you see. You know why everybody watches the puppet shows, you know, conspiracy theorists, we watch the puppeteers. That's what we enjoy watching. Yeah. And who's pulling the strings and who's doing all that stuff. And it can go really dark and some people don't want to hear it, especially people with children don't like to hear about conspiracies because it scares them too much. But it's freeing for me. It's the it's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, the podcast is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, we're probably like the number three conspiracy, comedy conspiracy podcast yeah. out there. And, and, and did you say how you, like, got kind of interested in that? Like... Well, the first conspiracy I ever really remember is when the Iron Sheet got busted with Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a car. And I was like, what the fuck is this? These guys are supposed to hate each other. These are pro wrestlers and they hate each other. Yeah. And they were busted drunk in a car. And that's when I always knew something was up. Then you start learning about JFK and all these things that go on forever. But really pushed me into doing this podcast was the 2016 election and the uh, primaries, which I saw was just like... Like the DNC was up to no good, and I was just watching this thing going on where, where you know, Bernie was playing like stadiums, and Hillary Clinton was pulling like Sam Tripoli numbers on a gig, you know, <laughs> like barely even filling a fucking lunchroom at a high school, right? And I'm like, well, how is this equating? It doesn't make any sense. So I just over time started watching, and then it's just like the thing about conspiracy theorists versus everybody else is, in my opinion, they keep score. Like they don't forget. Most people move on to the next thing and don't remember what happened before, whereas we kind of keep score. And here's the thing: over time, conspiracy theorists find they get they've proven to be right more than they are proven to be wrong. And you could always have these flat Earth things and all that, which isn't my thing. But you know, you always have these stuff. But in terms of like politics, people, how they operate, we tend to be more right than we are wrong. Mm. Uh, from at 1904 cricket, will you ever pay up your bets without being a whiny baby about it? Please say no. Cause that's my favorite part of punch drum. Yes. Everyone loves to see me go fucking nuts. They love <laughs> Ari has what Ari has, uh, had a long game, played a long game, which is getting uh, crazy. Here's the thing, dude. I'm never going to shove a hot dog up my ass. People are going to get angry. We're going to lose some people. I'm fine. I'd rather be known as a welcher for the rest of my life than a guy who shoved a fucking processed meat up his asshole. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to be like 65 and be like, hey, dude, you mind when you shove that fucking hot dog up your ass? I mean, the way people bring it up, I couldn't imagine if I did it, how it would haunt me oh, for the rest even, of my even life. more like, hey, remember that time? Yeah. Hey, you're the hot dog No guy. matter what I did. Mr. Tripoli, why do you want to run for president? Do you think it's okay for a president to shove a hot dog up his ass? I'm like, okay. It's, it's just, I'd rather be the Welcher. I'd much rather it. It's just, it just got too far, man. And we're screaming at each other like Jason Tebow. Like Jason was supposed to watch, walk as a cross dresser down Santa Monica Boulevard. But over time, I'm like, I don't really have a problem with trans. I don't want to make fun of them. Their lives are hard enough. And we're just fucking mocking them at that point. So I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I'm supposed to shock his neck or his nuts. I, I just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> It's just like seven years in, you got to keep going crazier and crazier. Dude, or else it, it I mean, it, it it's ends. hard to out top crazy things. Yeah. I mean, we go through, we, we have to find ways with roast battle for the wave to try to outdo ourselves. And I'll tell you what, the um, whenever I shaved my pubes on stage that first season of roast battle, 
Like that's pretty up there as far as what you can get away with on network television. Yeah. They I mean, it's still amazing that even got passed, that that even got through the censors. But well, it is going to be interesting to see what happens because the FCC, right, everything is community standards. But the internet's going so hard in the paint, it pushes stuff. I mean, like, dude, look at this. I grab her by the pussy. Porn, ABC having Stormy Daniels on. Like, uh, Jimmy, it's crazy. It's, we live in a crazy time. What is your worst fan encounter at Bax War 204? Worst fan encounter? Best or worst? Uh, I mean, I mean, my best fan encounter had to be my my shooting of my special filled with everybody that loves my comedy. It was the first time in my life I had a home game, you know, like yeah. They're you, specifically there just for you. I packed the Viper Room. Nobody had done a special at the Viper Room, which was so weird because yeah. it's, the, it's the most perfect place for a special, you know, because it was at, you know, it's like the, I, I go, so I, I do this gig. I, I do a gig over here at the W and I put 200 people into a show. One night I go, okay, I can do this. I can put 100 people in two shows. I can get 100 people at a show. I could do this. And so that's when, it, that's when I, I planted the seed that I'm going to do, um, that I'm going to shoot my own special. So I've, oh, since the moment I moved to L.A., I've wanted to shoot a special at the Viper Room. That was my goal. So thanks to the Comedy Store for letting me do shows at the Comedy Store. In the main room, I'd accumulated money, and my credit had gotten so good. I got, I was able to incorporate, and I got a nice like uh, corporate card, which had a good, I had a good like balance on there. I could, you know, yeah. And uh, so I said, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I saw some people do it. They spent too much. My girlfriend Dana Marshall has been with me. She's been producing live concerts forever. She did like uh, Black Sabbath, Neil Diamond. She did, she did Neil Diamond. And Slayer in the same weekend at the Forum. Not the same weekend, but the same seven days. She shot both of their concerts. So she was like, wow. oh, when you want to shoot, I'll shoot it. So I, I did it. I put it together. Now, this other comic was supposed to do the date I was uh, that I shot. And I'm like, oh, someone's going to do it before me. And by the love of God, he drops out. He drops out because they wanted money up front. And I'm like, screw it. Whatever they want, I'm going to pay it. So we did it. I go, I, I was just hoping I could get 100 people in the show. I ended up getting 140 per show, and it was the best thing ever. The worst, the worst, I mean, I've had crazy, I mean, dude, I mean, I've had crazy shit happen to me on stage. Uh, if you want to go look at this YouTube video, put in Biker versus San Diego Cop. Uh, that, I'm, I'm already intrigued. That biker, fuck, heckles me at my show. And he's heckled me the whole time. And back in the day when I was a crazy person, I used to do something called sexy dance competition. And uh, so I, I, he wouldn't shut up. So I challenged him to a sexy dance competition on stage. And he comes up on stage. And like, so I, I used to have this thing where I, I would flip a girl and I'd do reverse skull hump. I was an idiot back in the day, but it was something I would do. I would go big and hump. That, now I would get banned that, from that clubs. Your, that was your closer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. Now it, I'd be the face of me too if I did it now. But now then it was a big close. Everybody loved it. I took this guy on. I beat him. He shakes my hand. And he's like prison shredded. Like prison shredded. Like, you know, like old man and a wife beater, just like where they just do that prison workout where they just 
throw cinder blocks, you know, that whole workout. Yeah. So I, he brings his girlfriend on stage. They dance against me. I win. I get off stage. The staff runs up to me. He goes, you don't know who, who that is. That dude was just banned from the state of California for a year because he was in such shady. He's a hit man for the the for this for this biker gang. Okay, he got kicked out because he got. They were trying to arrest him. They tased him. He wouldn't go down. He kept pouring vodka all over himself. So that was one time I got attacked. Another time, do you remember Angelo Bowers? Oh, of course. I took Angelo Bowers out on his first ever uh, road gig. He's like, I've never done road before. I go, okay, let's go do a road gig. So I take him down to um, Dana Point. You ever been to Dana yep, Point? Yep, I okay, remember that Dana, spot. Yeah. For, for those who've never been to Dana Point, just know it's like this insanely amazing, um, uh, this little beach town where like everybody's nines and tens. Like they eat the fours and fives. So I go do this gig. And, uh, Is it Angel- that pub? Yeah, it's this yeah, pub. Yeah, Hennessy's. Yeah. Hennessy's, yeah. Angela's Grant doing- Cotter used to run a lot of shows there. And- Angela's doing stamp. This drunk hot chick is just heckling him the whole time. I go, if this chick heckles me, I'm going to light her up. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I sit in the back. I watch who's running like, out. Okay. And I just start loading the shotgun. Yeah. Loading yeah, the yeah. shotgun. <laughs> start picking the targets around. Yeah, yeah. Her, him, okay. load. The girl on her cell phone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm up there. I'm doing stand up. And uh, she starts heckling me, and I start calling. We start going back at it. Well, she, I mean, dude, when I tell you she's like one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen in my life, I'm not even lying, dude. She's like an LA 11. So she's heckling me. She starts walking up. She starts, you know, she, this gets dirty though, but she starts, she starts acting like she's going to move me. I go, lady, don't let your ass write a check you can't cash. She goes, oh, you don't think I do it? I go, I know you won't do it. She goes, you don't think I do? I go, I know you won't. She goes, lay down. I go, what? She goes, I'm going to sit on your face. I go, what are you talking about? And right now, every camera came out. And like an idiot, I tell them not to, to film it. Yeah. Because if they would have filmed it, I would have been a legend by now. I'd probably banned at every club at first, but then I would sell out <laughs> yeah, everywhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This chick takes her pants off and sits on my face. And why everybody's cheering. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here, dude? I didn't think this was going to happen. I, she called me on chicken, and she fucking won. She gets up. I'm like, uh, okay. I don't know where this Mexican lesbian midget, this tiny Mexican <laughs> lesbian, jumps on stage and starts wailing the shit out of me, dude. Starts going fucking nuts on me. Like, because she's with her. Like, she, I think she was into her, oh, you know? wow. Because this girl had just broken up with her girlfriend, so she was like a lipstick lesbian. Yeah. So she starts going crazy on me. I don't know where this girl's friend jumps up and grabs me and goes, don't be a hero, motherfucker. I go, what? He goes, I, he goes, fucking shut the fuck up. He grabs me and starts punching me in the face, right? I can't stop. I'm, I hold, I'm still having the microphone, dude, and I'm doing play-by-play of us fighting. <sighs> Why this guy's punching me in the face? I'm doing play by play. I'm like, you hit like a little bitch, man. And everyone breaks it up. I'm not lying to you. When I got off stage, I was surrounded by the most gorgeous chicks all staring at me like I was like a flame mignon. It was the most amazing night of my life. And I've had so many crazy nights like that. Just like I used to be crazy, dude. And I loved it. I loved it. I was trying to set a high score in a game nobody else was playing. <laughs> Dude, that's oh my goodness. I think I think the uh I think the Mexican lesbian little person is calling in right now about that fight. I think she's recalling that fight right now. 
Hey, puto! Puto! You ain't got shit, puto! Huh? I want home with the shit my girlfriend now! Uh, I can kill you! Were you upset that, that your girlfriend sat on Sam's face? Yeah! He, he ain't the not cool! He, wait, did Sam, like, start going to town with his mouth whenever Dude, what do you want me to do it's either, it's either fight or flight at that point i have to stay in the pocket dude it's either kill or be killed yeah you don't stop an asshole she loves me i kick your ass and what about your gay friend how come he jumped me too because he's my friend you got gay bash homeboy you got beat up by a gay guy a lesbian you got gay bash homeboy dude this is just how did you get this number why are you fucking I, I'm, I'm surprised he's a fan of Jeremiah Wonders, you know? Oh, I love the show. It's so good. He asks all the good questions. Well, thanks for calling in. Go Dodgers! <laughs> Lesbians oh, love my that. Do you remember when the, uh, when the Lakers won the championship on the same day as Gay Pride? Oh, I was yeah. like, that was the happiest day in gay Mexicans' lives ever oh, in yeah. Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, those two things. Yeah, doubled up. Coming together Go miraculously. <laughs> This is from at heavy underscore steps. You definitely need to get Sam to talk about his sex addiction and crazy fetishes. I have a lot of them, dude. I like big teeth. I like chicks who are slightly cross-eyed. <laughs> Stop. I've been peed on. I like that. In the first two, right out of the gate. I like big teeth. I like girls that are slightly cross. I like being called the N word. Wait, how did these fetishes come about? You know, it's very interesting because I think about like who you tend to be attracted to what you grow up around. Sure. I like, I like Amazon chicks, big chicks. I like women who are slightly cross eyed, big teeth. That's a lot of upstate New York right there. Right. It's a lot of 607. That's a lot of it. So yeah, you so you just I just think it's hot when they're slightly just a little bit cross. I don't know why. I think it's hot and big teeth. Now I was in I was in Edmonton and this chick came up. She had the biggest teeth. She was super hot with slightly cross eyed and I oh dude I melted. I love it. I've been called the N word in bed. I got attracted to that for a while just because this crazy Mexican I was banging dropped an N bomb on me and I just got hooked on it for a while, which is a weird thing to ask other chicks to do. That gets weird. Um, what else am I into? Um, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> yeah, some of them are like, no, no, absolutely not. Yes, they won't. <laughs> Some of them just say it a little too quick. I'm like, yeah, whoa. you're like, whoa, okay, pump. you were looking for an excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, great. What are you doing there? Pump the brakes. Yeah. Where are we driving to the Klan rally? So it's <laughs> interesting. I just like, I'm into, I just like weird shit. Daddy, I found the man of my dreams tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally into it, man. I couldn't imagine. He what, lets me call him the N word. What do you think, like, guys who get tons like Chris D'Elia, what do you think he's got to be in the weird shit, right? Like, when you get so much premium, pre- like, top shelf, like, top cut, prime cut. Are you right? The strips of sirloin. Dude, grade I love a. that guy. Back in the day when he'd get off stage and they would present him, this, I was like... You know, if you can't be the man, I, fucking respect the man. I don't know. I don't know, like, if at that point, if you're having so much sex that do you get in a place where, you're like, like nines to you are just like, oh, whatever. Like, I, like it's, I, it's not be, doing anything dude. for me. Like, Do you know what I mean? Like, like, you get so much of stimulation, like, from different 
people. It's gotta be, dude. It's gotta be. You've just Do you gotta. Think every once in a while, Chris will bring back like, like you know, like a beast. Oh well, just just to cleanse the palate. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Just because he's so used to getting yeah. like all these hot girls. Do you think like? Like every once in a while, he just like brings it. Chris, I'm a huge fan of yeah. the show. Yeah, I there's a famous story about uh, what's his face from Kiss. Um, who's the guy? Gene Simmons. Or? Yeah, about like he was just banging these prime, these like superstars, and then he got a call. And then one day, some people saw him with a just, a, let's say, a, a not a nine or a ten, and he's like, dude. You can't eat filet mignon every night. Occasionally, you got to have a Big Mac. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Now back in now back in in Vegas when I was really young, I I would hook up a big chick. Well, when I'm from big chick town, but it's like I called them slump busters, right? Because <laughs> women because women can see it in your eyes when you haven't been laid in a while and you've got the wildling in yeah, your eyes, you got right? That a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys get creepy. You ever notice that guys get creepy when they don't get laid and women get angry? Like women get really angry Interesting. With, when they haven't gotten some quality in a while. They get really <laughs> weird. Um, but girls can see, so you have to do slump busters. Now, I'm convinced that these young guys in Hollywood, their new slump busters are trans. Oh. Because these are the kids who are growing up with the phone and the porn on their phone. I think it's all just blending at this point. Yeah. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've been, break off a little piece of... I think now being gay is the new punk rock. I just... Because we did this one show, and just like every comic went up almost going like, yeah, I've done some gay shit. And they're like, whoa, I'm not... You're like, dude, yeah, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm like, just the last three guys all admitted that they... Like, Lee sat with the mention they watch gay porn. Another dude said he had a... Guess what? I freaking do it, dude. Yeah, bro. Bro, I don't play by your dude, rules. I don't care if I watch gay porn all day and then jerk it and then go out at night and then present myself to women because that's who i freaking am dude yeah that's the new punk rock that's not playing by the rules that's like telling your dad yeah dad hey dad guess what i sucked a dick earlier and guess what I'm freaking married, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's completely <laughs> it. That's completely Dad's like, it. Well, wait, so why are you telling me this? Because I freaking can. Welcome to 2018. Yeah, dude. Did you? Did you? Dude, I had, last night I had uh, Brent, uh, Brent, uh, Brent Weinbach in my show. Dude, have you ever watched that guy? Oh yeah, I love Brent. Oh, dude, his bit about his son coming out of the closet. Oh, it's so good. It's so funny. I love oh, more for me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying more for me. <laughs> yeah. You too. He's so funny, dude. Uh, yeah, dude, that's great. Uh, this is a this is a fun question. This is from at Paul Giwo Truba. If you could learn the absolute truth about one conspiracy theory, what would it be? Love you guys. I mean, it's. Do you want to keep it funny or do you want to keep it like real? I mean, like, well, Trump I, has I guess, a time machine. That's what people believe. He has some kind of time machine that his his uncle was close with Nikolai Tesla, and when Nikolai Tesla died, he 
his his uncle went in and grabbed all of his like his documents for his uh, experiments and stuff like that and uh they believe that like his uncle invented the time machine and that's why trump knows everything and there was a book that was written in like 1880s called little baron trump it's called it was a book that was written then the fa- if you look it up the kid looks on the cover looks exactly like trump he's almost got a fidget spinner in his hand and uh it's the story of the guy kid who was the son of the last president. It's like this crazy-ass shit. There's all this stuff. What do you think about the Simpsons' predictions on all of that stuff? Have, you, think, have you looked at any of those videos? Like yeah, the yeah, Trump yeah, video? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, it is eerie, and it's crazy, but if you're writing a billion fucking... A billion episodes. You're gonna get lucky. You think you're gonna? I mean, like it's like what if you list twenty times they they predict the future out of like what fifty or uh, five thousand episodes? Like that's still crazy. And now I'm not saying it's not it's not still insane, but it's like if you're always trying to put every you know all this yeah, mixing yeah. shit together, it could be interesting. I believe. Listen, dude, the whole notion that there is no such thing as time. There's no before. There's no after. Everything's happening at one. We literally have right now, and there's no past. There's no present. There's no nothing. It's right now. So I, I could see. And there's also the theory that like time is like a book, and it's just pages, and therefore it's like. It wouldn't be that hard to travel time. You just got to get to the next page. It's some interesting Weird. shit. There's some dark shit out there like Pedogate. I'd like to know if that's real. I think I know it is, but I'd like proof of it. Interesting. That's- yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some dark rabbit hole conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, like- there's just people who want power and uh, they'll do anything to keep it. Uh, final question. Then we'll go into the uh, final segment. Uh, at John Mon Jarden. Um, what was the most important step that you took to stop doing cocaine? And uh, when was the last time you did it? I haven't done coke, and I can't even remember the last time I did coke. You know, I did weed a little more a little while ago. I did shrooms during the um the World Series. I did shrooms at the World Series. But besides that, I don't. I'm not doing anything anymore. I don't remember the last time I did coke. I just, the beauty is, is just like, I just got myself into a place where I was surrounded by people and I was just like, now what I do is, uh, cause I get, I get, I get my, my brain gets a little crazy and I want to go out and I want to do all this shit. I now listen to, uh, 12 step speeches on my phone through Bluetooth while I drive around and it kind of gets me out of my head. Yeah. But, you know, go get help, man. It's like, go get that. Like, the worst thing is to be a, I don't know what's worse, being a crash and burn drunk or a functioning drunk or drug addict. Being able to keep it going while you keep, keep it together while you keep going, that, that that is even worse, in my opinion. But it's a much better world when you're sober, man. It's just easier. I'm just not a guy who can party. I don't like weed. Whenever you were doing coke, were you, did you ever get into like, uh, were you like super into like the club scene, like where you'd go out no, and like go super just, late? Dude, they, they used to, the comedy store was coked to the fucking to the to the brim, dude. I mean, there was so much cocaine at the comedy store, and that's what everybody was doing. Is that ever hard? Do you ever think about like? before because i'm sure you do it before sets before going on oh stage. yeah and i would just and that was the worst part was so mediocre on stage that's what killed what, the most what, it, it affects like just just everything your mind yeah you yeah. can't think 
Oh, you know, it's like so. It, what do you start like kind of repeating yourself and yeah, just like, and like you never is, like like get to the meat of where you're supposed to be going, kind of thing. Yeah, and you realizing you're fucking up, and it's just. I don't know. I don't know circle. how guys like Robin Williams could do coke and stuff and be that clear, and you know what I mean, and be improvising, going crazy, and like he's like pouring sweat and just like going a thousand miles an hour. Well, that one set, he's so coked out of his skull. Like when he's sweating at Rockefeller Center. Have you yeah. ever seen that? Like that is coked out of your skull. I don't know, man. You know, with the passing of Mitzi, they came from a different generation. Like everybody was, I mean, look at all the people we lost, like Parkinson's. and They were just all doing coke by the fucking ice cream scoops. And it was just like, you can't short circuit your brain like that for that long, that often. It's, you know, it sucks. We're losing that generation. That there's not a lot of them left. It's true. It's true. You know, it's crazy. Hello, hello, Sam. Hello. I heard you talking about some different conspiracy theories. <laughs> you know, with a tinfoil hat podcast, you. Reach out to a lot of alien life forms. Fuck yeah. Me being one of them. Are you Anunnaki? I'm Anunnaki. Are you guys coming? I know we found your planet. We will be coming very soon. Planet X, how is it? It's very nice this time of year. (laughs) Is it summer out there? Oh, you know it, Sam. What do Anunnaki like to do for uh, summer? Butt stuff. Butt stuff. That sounds All like summer long. So much probing. So, so much ain't no probing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But then we take off the Wednesday and then go away once again on Thursday. Are you guys, you guys created human beings from monkeys. Are you proud of what we've become? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> How have we let you down? In so many gosh darn ways. Thank you for not swearing. Oh, I am a higher power being. I do not think the swear words are that evolved. Oh, so, so Anunnaki were clean? Oh, I always work clean as an Anunnaki. <laughs> I love that, dude. What would you change about us if you could? Well, all of you are so concerned with sex, drugs, and fame. I mean, how about being better people starting off of there? Oh, I love that, dude. I love that a lot. I think we should do that. I think who's someone that's we should. That's why I said it. Okay, that's true. Who do you think we should? What's a great example of a human being we should follow? Oh, there are so many out there, but all of them have flaws and secrets and darkness around them. If you start digging too far, but at the surface level, there's handfuls of amazing historical figures out there. I love it, dude. I love it. I'm so glad you're our God. Me too. See you soon, Sam. Love you, buddy. Thank you, Anunnaki guy. Man, Anunnaki, he just knew right when to call into the show. They get it. Like, I didn't even hear a ring. I think he patched himself in, but he is a god, so I mean. He is. They are the gods. They created us. They, they, they splice us with the monkeys, and we left the caves with wheels and all tools, and that's where we are now. This brings us to our final segment. Sax talk. Sax talk. Sax talk. All right, Sam. So basically, I am going to play some sweet, sweet saxophone underneath 
while you tell a story of a sexual encounter. There I was. It was about 2004, or as you kids call it, back in the day. I was playing Beecher's Madhouse at the Hard Rock Casino. Beecher's Madhouse was considered the greatest, greatest hell gig ever because it was 10 minutes of just chaos you had to go through to make about $1,500. And I mostly break down all my gigs down to sex workers money, right? If you make five bucks, that's crackhead money, crack whore money. If you make $1,500 for 10 minutes, that's high-end escort money. So I did my show, and uh, I got done, and now after the show, everybody's high-fiving you, but none of the ladies are getting into this. Nobody wants anybody. So I go down to the nightclub at the comedy, at the uh, Hard Rock. It was downstairs, and for about three hours, I'm just walking around, and nobody's saying anything. Nothing at all. So I'm just walking around. I walk around. So now it's about 2.30 in the morning. And I'm like, nothing, I can't believe this. I had such a great set. I got a standing out. Not going to get any action. This sucks. So I'm about to do the walk home. I'm about to leave the club. When out of nowhere, this incredibly drunk hot chick comes up to me and goes, Hey, are you the guy in the show? And I'm like, yeah. And she then says the most three magical words I've ever heard. Three magical sentences I've ever heard in my life. One, you were so funny. I'm so drunk. I can't find my friends. Boom. So we hung out all night. We started hanging out. We were making out and we were, boom. We went back to my place and uh, I just knocked the bottom out of it. Then I gave her the classic triply good morning bone to wake you up. It's like, it's like a cup of coffee for the ladies. Hello. Rise and shine, sunshine, it's time to go. And that was one of my greatest stories of, of never giving up. Always believe in yourself. If there's time on the clock, take the shot. See, you guys, if you believe in yourself and you put yourself out there for long enough, just believe in yourself, happen. dude. Just be- that's all. That's like my album. Just believe in yourself, dude. Just believe in yourself. Oh, man. So, so Sam just showed me uh, the marquee at the comedy store that just got posted. It says, Good night, our godmother. We will love you forever. Oh, man. man. So rough. <sighs> well, uh, full circle with uh, the the Mitzi memories on this podcast, uh, dude. I I loved having you on. Uh, we we had a conspiracy theorist calling. We had cokehead Sam. Aliens. A- we had aliens. 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 Uh, Elliot, your former improviser uh, <laughs> friend, yeah. who has to yes and yes, everything. Yes. A lot of highlights, dude. Yes. So uh, much good stuff. Now so you much got good. Punch Drunk Tinfoil Podcast. Uh, Sam Tripoli, you've got you've got a, a new special coming out. 
Oh man, he showed me another marquee picture. They did on the big marquee. Oh no, the too. big, the main. I wonder if the other comedy clubs will do it. I, I think they will. I, I mean, they'd be wise if 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 they did. But uh, where else can people find you, my friend? Uh, at Sam Tripoli, uh, my YouTube page is uh, starting to grow. Oh yeah, it's popping, dude. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm almost at fifteen thousand. Goal is thirty thousand. Uh, and you can just go youtube.com backslash Sam Tripoli or youtube.com backslash Punch Drunk Sports. Heck yeah, brother! Thank you so Thanks much for having me. I'm loving watching you work hard, and you just keep rising. And you know, it's it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. Just no matter how crazy it gets, no matter who around you pops and blows up, just know it's going to happen. To what degree, who will know? But you will work and you will make, you will, you at the end of the day will be very happy with what you did. Love you, bro. Thanks so much for being on the podcast.